Mindfulness Mode 278. The day that it finally shifted was a day that I, I shifted. I dropped into a natural state. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, thanks for joining us again. Great to have you with us. Last time, I talked with an expert on the topic of stage fright. And who doesn't have to deal with stage fright once in a while? Some of us have to deal with it a lot. And it can completely close you down. Mindfulness can help you deal with it, can help you move through it, can help you actually eliminate it. It's a terrific show to listen to. So if you're interested, go back to my last episode that was mindfulnessmode.com slash 277. Oh, essential oils. How many of you use some of these scents, some of these essential oils to change your mood, to get feeling better, to get rid of headaches, to manage your emotions? Well, I'm going to be offering some essential oils. That's my plan. And I'm investigating some companies and trying some products so stay tuned as we get uh, into the new year I will start making this available to you so that you can use some of the same essential oils that I've been using which really help to manage the way I feel at different times. Today we have an interesting mindfulness expert with us and I would tell you that if you ever wanted to refer to mindfulness as an expert practice she is an expert usually we don't say someone is an expert at mindfulness because it seems like it doesn't make sense but today's guest has spent over a hundred weeks in silent retreats she spent so much time practicing and becoming someone who truly understands mindfulness that I think you'll enjoy this episode. Juliana is my guest. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Juliana. Hey, Mindful Tribe. I have a very interesting guest today. It's Juliana Ray. Juliana, are you in mindfulness mode today? I, I'm 24-7, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> that is perfect, 24-7. You never come out of it. Well, Juliana Ray co-founded and runs unifiedmindfulness.com. And she's had 17 years experience. She's trained thousands of people to become confident in mindfulness. Juliana was a professional singer-songwriter and was drawn to mindfulness 20 years ago to manage severe anxiety, depression, and emotional ups and downs. With over 100 weeks of immersive silent retreat training in both mindfulness and zen, Juliana has racked up 12,000 plus hours of formal practice time, rewiring her brain and creating a new normal for herself. The result is exponential growth and the ability to truly be of service to her clients. So this is very interesting and I I can't wait to talk to you about this whole topic, but let's start here. What does mindfulness mean to you, Julianne? Great, that's a great place to start because it means so many things to so many different people. 
people. And what's wonderful is the phrase has become really popular. This term has become popular, uh, but there can be a lot of confusion. And so it's great to start with a definition. So uh, for me, when I speak about mindfulness, um, I'm actually speaking about a set of attention skills that we uh, strengthen through practice. And um, the research has shown benefits from training our attention uh, and training these skills, developing these skills. And so when I speak about mindfulness, I'm speaking about um, that practice that research has shown benefits people in specific ways, such as emotional regulation, lowering uh, blood pressure, uh, strengthening the immune system, improving uh, uh, creativity, sleep cycles. So when we think about what is beneficial to people in all of these physiological and emotional ways, um, it is this practice of mindfulness meditation. And when I think about the practice of mindfulness meditation, I think about these three skills, concentration, clarity, and equanimity that you develop as you practice. Well, let's talk about sleep because a lot of our listeners have challenges getting to sleep, have challenges staying asleep. And then, of course, the morning comes and, and we sometimes feel groggy and not ready to get up. How can we improve our sleep patterns through mindfulness, Juliana? Sure. Um, well, it's interesting. There are a number of ways you can. Um, one way is simply that as you practice mindfulness, you reduce stress overall. So when you reduce stress, you're going to be more likely to be able to sleep and be less uh, have your sleep patterns less interrupted. But when you understand that mindfulness is a practice that can strengthen uh, and deepen your connection to tranquility, for instance, uh, then it actually opens up a whole world because it means that you may not be able to fall asleep but you can rest and restore yourself through the practice. So even if in, during the night you're not able to totally conk out the way you would like to to recharge your batteries, nevertheless, you can actually practice mindfulness and get the benefits from recharging yourself that way. So that's another way to think about how it can help your sleep cycle. Well, I find it's it's incredible how much it helps my sleep cycle because I've been practicing mindfulness for a long time. And there was a time about maybe 15 years ago when I, I would wake up in the middle of the night or I couldn't fall asleep and that became a bit of a pattern. But since I've been practicing mindfulness, which has been for a number of years, I found that like I probably fall asleep in 15 seconds, which is crazy. But my wife, my wife just says, well, you know, once your head hits the pillow, I'm never going to be able to ask you a question because you just, you just fall asleep. But uh, it's nice to be able to fall asleep. That's yeah. for sure. Absolutely. And is and that how it? Yeah, I was going to say it's I, nice to be able to fall asleep. And it's also nice to have an alternative that is not taking medication if you don't want to to do that that it, you know if you're unable right. to fall asleep you have you still have a way to take care of yourself and you still have a way to recharge and rejuvenate and know that you are helping your physiology so Absolutely. Well, you yeah. spoke about concentration, so let's talk about that. Sure. How can we increase our focus? That's something right. that we all want to know about. 
Right. So um, actually, when I think of mindfulness, I think of these three skills working together. One of them is concentration. So the ability to pay attention to what we choose. And that's an obvious one. We can all see very easily what the benefit of concentration is. Um, sure. The other, another is sensory clarity. And that's less obvious what the value of that is. Uh, and we will all talk about it. But then there's this third, which is equanimity, and it's also less obvious what the benefit of that is. And they all work together. And that's when we can say that someone is mindful, it's concentration, clarity, and equanimity all happening at the same time. I see. So, yeah, yeah. That's the way I, that's the way the system of unified mindfulness uh, talks about mindfulness practice. So, well, it is easy to understand what concentration is all about, yeah. but sensory clarity, yeah. I think we need to have some expansion on that one. Right. Yeah. Great. Absolutely. So, um, if you get overwhelmed, let's say you wake up in the middle of the night and your mind is churning and you're, you've got racing thoughts, right? And um, you forgot to do this thing you were supposed to do that day. And then you think about this other thing that was supposed to happen that didn't happen and you're off and running, right? Um, if you were to closely examine the experience you're having right in that moment, you might notice that you have some emotions in the body, such as fear or uh, frustration or whatever it may be, that are triggering, that are driving the thinking. The thinking is, oh, no, I forgot to do that thing. Oh, wait a minute. I should have. Why do I always? Why am I up right now? I should be sleeping right now, right? All of the racing thoughts that come up are have a relationship to our emotional life. And the emotions are driving the, the thoughts. And the thoughts are then um, re-triggering the emotions. And so there's this spiral happening. Sensory clarity enables you to start to disentangle those experiences from one another. So you recognize that the blah, blah, blah in your mind is an independent variable from the triggered fear and the triggered um, rush, rush of frustration or whatever else it may be in your body. And by being able to disentangle those, it reduces the overwhelm and it reduces that automatic gripping quality of whatever it is you're experiencing. So that's one way to understand how sensory clarity benefits us as we start to be able to uh, understand the relationship between these independently functioning variables and that reduces the overwhelm. Another way to understand sensory clarity is, you know when a chef tastes a stew and they can detect, oh, there's some rosemary and some thyme and they have a mm -hmm. refined palate and that refined palate enables them to appreciate food at a level that you and I may not be able to appreciate it. So another way to understand sensory clarity is we become uh, chefs, connoisseurs of our senses, and that enables us to more fully appreciate our experience. It deepens our fulfillment from experience. Oh, that makes life just more fun to enjoy, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. <laughs> That's right. So you can start to think about that skill of sensory clarity. That's a muscle that we can strengthen. Yes. So there's well, let's the, talk about equanimity. Yeah, yeah, sure. So that's number three. So now we've got concentration, right. the ability to focus on what you choose. We call uh, sensory clarity the ability to track and explore your sense experience in real time. So that makes a little more sense now. And then we mm -hmm. have equanimity. So 
Equanimity is the ability to allow your sense experience to come and go without push and pull. So what do I mean by that? I basically mean non-interference, not fighting with it, not pushing it away, and not getting caught in it either. So we go back to this uh, example I gave. You're up in the middle of the night and your thoughts are racing. And what tends to happen is those thoughts get so gripping. We, we you know, they seem like the most important thing in the world. And we're, we're just caught up in them and we're down the rabbit hole and they are spinning further extremely important 3 a.m. thoughts, right? So we want to learn how to allow the activity of those thoughts, the blah, 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 right? But not identify, not get caught in the thoughts, not get stuck in the thoughts. And so there's this balance that we have to strike, this relationship that we have to develop with our sensory experience where we're neither pushing it away because what, what happens when you push it away, right? It, it, that fight is draining, right? Uh, So we don't want to push it away. We don't want to repress it. We don't want to suppress it, but nor do we want to get stuck in it, caught in it, lost in it. So we develop this uh, new kind of relationship to our experience where we allow it to come up, but we try not to get caught on it. We try not to get hung up on it or, and ways, there are ways to do that. For instance, if you have a physical discomfort, you can relax around the physical discomfort. What's that going to do? It's going to spread the sensation initially, which is unpleasant. We tend to tense up around physical discomforts. We don't want to feel the unpleasantness, but if you allow yourself to feel that initial unpleasantness, it dissipates. Whereas if you create a tension barrier by tensing up around the physical discomfort, what happens? It actually makes matters worse. It doesn't actually improve how you feel physically, and it also depletes you. So that principle can be applied to our experience overall. We need to be able to accept to open up to our experience, to be willing for our experience. And that is what equanimity is all about. Well, speaking of our experience, you used to be a professional singer and songwriter. Tell me what that was like. I understand you had some anxiety in your life back at that time. Maybe you can tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I have a really unusual story because I got to live out my dream. And, you know, so many of us are deeply aspirational. We want to kind of leave our mark on the world and we want to make a contribution that's meaningful, that reflects who we are. And I was in the very fortunate position of achieving that. I got to make a record on Warner Brothers and I was uh, signed by the president of the company and I had this iconic figure, um, a guy named Jeff Lynn produced my record. He's, uh, he's the mastermind behind ELO, Electric Light Orchestra. So all those hits. In fact, he collaborated with Tom Petty on uh, a number of his hits like Full Moon Fever. And so, you know, an iconic figure. And I got to make a record with him. And uh, yeah, it was extraordinary. And also it showed me the limits of achieving your dreams. (laughs) I got a very unusual behind the curtain look at the fact that if your mind uh, is not, uh, if you haven't, well, really, if your attention isn't trained, if you don't have the skills of mindfulness, then it doesn't actually matter what you achieve. You're not going to be able to fully appreciate it. And you're always going to be chasing after the next accomplishment. So I was in the position of, you know, having my dreams come true, didn't work out quite as I planned. But even as it 
wasn't working out, I was seeing, you know, even when it was happening, even when I was being interviewed all the time and doing shows and, you know, getting a lot of uh, accolades, I got great, you know, um, uh, uh, reviews and things like that. I could see that I was unhappy still. I was struggling with unhappiness. I was still anxious. I was still struggling with depression. And then when that got pulled out from under me, well, then I started to crash even further. And I thought, this is just no way to live my life where everything hinges on things working out. And even when they're working out, I'm not feeling particularly great. Right. So I I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. I got to see that through having a very dramatic, wonderful thing happen. I got to see, Mm -hmm. oh, you know what? That's not the whole, that's not all there is. So that's when I was in therapy, I was struggling, I was trying medication, medication wasn't working for me. And the therapist said, well, why don't you try meditating? And I was very skeptical. I'm a pragmatist. And I thought, whatever, I, I, you know, okay, I'll sit still, but what's that really going to do? So, uh, so I tried it out and I liked it. I did, I gave myself three months because I understood, oh, this is probably, you know, like dieting and exercise, probably a a long distance fix. So I'll have to Mm -hmm. commit. So I committed to three months. I liked that. Two years later, I was still, you know, doing my little sits and I was getting something out of it, but I was still struggling deeply. And that's when I was introduced to my teacher, Shenzhen Young. And and that's when, and he's, by the way, the guy who, um, when I talk about concentration, clarity, equanimity, um, that is his design. That's how he conceives this idea Uh of mindfulness. So um, I got introduced to him. I went on a retreat with him. And that's when it dawned on me that I had a way out of my predicament. And I was, up until that point, I was at such a loss. I literally had struggled with suicide and, uh, you know, contemplating suicide and severe anxiety and medication was not working. And so it was a revelation on that first retreat about three days in doing these techniques that anybody can do. Um, Mm -hmm. I did them for three days straight that you do. (laughs) I did them for three days straight and I had an experience that showed me the potential of my physiology showed me, oh my gosh, I'm far more resilient and far more capable of feeling good than I ever would have imagined. And that is just simply the outcome of doing these techniques. So if I keep doing these techniques, I can start to feel good more regularly. And if I start to feel good more regularly, that can become my new home base over time. I can start to have that be reliably present regardless of what ups and downs I'm facing in life. And I had that revelation on that first retreat and I dove headlong into, you know, a long and challenging journey. A hundred weeks of retreat silence practice is not an easy thing to, to pull off, but it was what I needed. It was what my particular physiology, my particular emotional challenges. That's just what, what was called for in my case. And Fortunately, I found that and was able to pursue that and 
Well, uh, Juliana, tell us more about that first retreat and how you felt as you went into it. Did you feel a lot of fear? And what was it actually like? (laughs) Yeah, great. I was had no, I I tend to dive headlong into things and then be like, what did I get myself into? So that was a perfect example of that. I I had called up just to get more cassettes. Uh, This is how long ago it was. I was listening to these cassettes and I called up and the woman said, well, you know, he's leading a retreat in a couple of weeks. Why don't you come on that? And I, at the time, my life was a disaster um, on many levels. And I thought, you know, I've got nothing to lose. I'm just going to go do this. So I, I went on the retreat and I remember distinctly thinking like, okay, I've got a week to become enlightened or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I've got a week. So, and then I have got to get back to the business of making music. I have a lot of stuff I need to get done. So I'm going to take this week and surely if I just devote myself, I just follow all the rules and do all the sits by the end of this week, I should be good to go. That was my attitude. Right. <laughs> so totally deluded. So I went in and um, I, I was totally unprepared. I had none of the cushions or whatever. I looked around me. Everybody had these, you know, these mats and these cushions. And I took the pillow from my, you know, the dorm room that I was sleeping in. And fortunately, about midway through, this lovely gentleman behind me just handed me a, <laughs> a, a cushion. Um But I was deeply determined, and so I did, I followed the schedule to the letter. When it said sit, I sat. When it said do walking meditation, I did walking meditation, and I made sure I did every last sit because I wanted to get my money's worth, and I wanted to make sure I, (laughs) I, I accomplished my goal. But when I first arrived, I remember thinking, my God, I, I looked around and nobody would look at you because part of what you do in that environment is you remove all the usual distractions. And that includes, you know, the social niceties that we feel obliged to, oh, the smile we feel like we have to show, which is fine. It's good. Social niceties are a good thing in their place, but it's also nice to be free of them for a a window of time to say, oh, you know what? I can just take care of myself. I don't have to look at people if I don't want to look at them. and I can keep my uh, gaze inward. It's, It's a good thing, but I didn't know that walking in. So I looked around. I thought, wow, nobody's looking at me. Nobody's smiling. These people are a bunch of freaks. What's going on here? I was scared and I was freaked out and I thought, oh, they're all a bunch of weirdos. What am I doing here? And, you know, I I also, I remember that very first sit was like, I'm going to have to do this for how long? (laughs) From five in the morning till 10 at night every day for a week? What have I gotten myself into? So... Uh, yeah, it was terrifying. And how did you feel at the very end then after, after the one week of doing this? Oh, my mind was totally blown, totally blown. I never, ever, ever could have conceived of, uh, what you could get out of an experience like that. I didn't know it was possible. I didn't know it was possible for me to feel as good as I felt. I didn't know what my body and mind were actually capable of. So that week showed me the potential in a way that I, I just hadn't known was possible. And it was the beginning of a profound transformation for me. I look back on that and I am just eternally grateful because I feel better now than I did then. You know, 20 years, we, we 
often are afraid of getting old, you know, because of what it's going to take from us. And it does take something from us and we have to reconcile ourselves with that. But when you have this practice, my God, what it can give you a, you know, as the years go on, it gets richer and richer and richer. And that's something to look forward to. (laughs) Right. And so how long was it until you decided you wanted to move away from being a singer and a musician toward being a person who taught mindfulness? Yeah, that's a great question. It took me many years. Partially, I was intimidated. I was training with masters and I uh, just didn't feel, I knew that from, from, the people that I was training with, the, the degree of training that they had gotten to call themselves teachers, I knew what that meant. And mm-hmm. so I didn't take it lightly. And in fact, I just never felt like I was going to be ready. But um, within three years, I started sharing it. I started teaching it for free because I just felt compelled to do that. But before right. I could call myself a professional teacher, many, many years uh, until I felt legitimate. But part of what shifted for me was I saw this industry emerging, this mindfulness industry. And I saw a lot of people saying, hey, I can teach you mindfulness. And I knew they didn't have the training. And I felt a sense of responsibility. That, okay, you know, let's make sure that people get the real deal here because there's mm-hmm. the stuff that can really transform your life. And then there's this word mindfulness that's used a lot and that sure. has, you know, varying degrees of, of depth of impact. So that was so, part so, of it was just, yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I was just going to say, do you teach only in person? Do you teach online? Do you teach in groups? What does it look like yeah. when you teach mindfulness? Sure. Yeah. So I teach all of the above. Um, I do coaching sessions on the phone. I do them in person. It's less likely for me. Most of my coaching clients are on the phone. Um, I teach at companies, at organizations. I go and do live trainings for events. Um, I also teach small groups and I have a whole online uh, program. I teach teachers. I teach uh, people how to teach the system. So that's a wonderfully rich direction for me. Um, Many people don't realize that by learning how to teach something, you're really mastering it. So I get a lot of people who are just interested in really grokking, you know, really uh, understanding how this stuff works and they want to get all the nuances and the details. And then some of those people go on to really want to be professional teachers. And so I help them with that process as well. Sure. Yeah. And it's wonderful for teachers to have that experience and that knowledge of mindfulness. Juliana, I want to ask you a question about bullying because I've worked in that field for a long time. Have you ever been bullied or do you have a story where mindfulness would have or did make a difference? That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I was bullied as a kid. Um, I when I was about 12, an incident happened where these two boys, um, they, they decided that I had done something, um, uh, you know, at a, at a birthday party. I had said something okay. that got someone into trouble and they decided that I needed to be punished for that. So... Uh, for, I guess, a month or two after that, 
every time they saw me in the halls, they would kick me as hard as they could. I, I was terrified. I, I changed my my pattern when I was, you know, so that I, I could avoid them. I would go down to the basement and I rearranged the whole pattern of, of where I was going, you know, to get from class A to class B, instead of just going up the stairs, I'd go down to the basement around. So I would miss the, the boys kicking me. And um, I would go to school every day and I would think about the fact that I was going to have to see these boys and they were going to, I really felt terrorized um, by them. And uh, actually the day that it finally shifted was a day that I, I shifted. I dropped into a natural state uh, that shifted everything. And that's one thing I want to say. I talk about these skills. These skills are naturally occurring. We, we all know what it's like to be in a heightened state of mindfulness. We've all had some kind of peak experience where there's a level of clarity there, where we're deeply absorbed, concentrating fully, where uh, we have a sense of harmony or we have a sense of willingness for things to be as they are. And that's the overriding experience. So all we're saying with mindfulness is, hey, guess what? You can strengthen that. So you experience it with greater regularity and greater depth. So looking back on that event, there came this moment where I didn't run from it anymore. Uh. I became willing to turn toward it. And I, I remember vividly, I was, I was going up, I chose the route that I knew I was going to pass them because it was the shortest route to my class. Okay. And I didn't want to, right? I didn't want to run anymore. So I, I started up the steps. And as they were coming towards me, I saw this kid, Bert, Benish. <laughs> you know how you always know the kid's first yeah. and last name? I saw him uh, gearing up to kick me as hard as he could. And I found myself saying, okay, you want to kick me? Go ahead, kick me. And in that moment, he was totally nonplussed. And he stopped and he never did it again. And it was because of the way I went into it. I, I just went into it with an absolute fierce willingness that I was not going to be intimidated and that I was going to stand my ground. So whatever came out of my mouth, you know, uh, go ahead and kick me. It, that wasn't the point. The point was that I managed to fully embrace where I was at and that strength of anchoring myself in my complete willingness, um, it just blew him out of the water. It just nonplussed him. And, and that was the end of it. What a great story, Juliana. <laughs> Juliana, as we move toward the end of the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. And the first one is this, who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? Oh, gosh. Well, that would have to be Shenzhen Young. Right. He designed the Unified Mindfulness System. He's a genius, really, because he he basically took a step back. He, he was ordained as a monk himself and then did a lot of training in all the Buddhist approaches to meditation, as well as became a sun dancer in the Native American tradition and also explored deeply other contemplative 
practices. So he's a Buddhist scholar, as well as, uh, you know, uh, exploring every other possible approach to contemplative practice that you could possibly imagine. And he took a step back and he said, okay, I'm going to do a factor analysis. I'm going to figure out what are the underlying principles beneath all of these approaches? And that's what my system is going to be designed around. So it's a deeply empowering way to look at things because then you see the unification between thus this, the name, right? You see what unifies all the contemplative approaches across the world. They may look different in form. They may have different, be associated with different traditions, Christianity or Judaism or Buddhism or whatever. But at their core, the mechanism is all doing the same thing. It's strengthening your attention in these particular ways. So you, they begin, you begin to see the commonalities rather than the differences. And that's very uh, empowering. Sure is. Juliana, tell us how mindfulness has affected your emotions and can you do it in 30 seconds to just sum it up? Oh boy. Uh, I would say accentuate the positive. It's uh, made me a much happier person and it's made me much more able to process challenging emotions when they come up. So much more resilient overall. Well, let's talk about breathing. How is breathing part of your mindfulness practice, Juliana? Well, interestingly, I, I am not someone who focuses on the breath particularly. That's a place that is often a good place for people to start. Um, in fact, at the very beginning, before I was introduced to Shinzen, breath was the first place I started. I focused at the tip of the nose. But I like to teach people how anything at all can be a focus in meditation because that frees people up. They're about maybe 20% or so of people who don't actually enjoy focusing on the breath. That's just a statistic based on my experience. Some people actually it causes anxiety for them or they don't enjoy it they find it boring and what we want is to motivate people we want people to get engaged in this practice so um i like to introduce people to a technique that right off the bat shows them how any they can focus on anything as long as they're developing the skills of concentration clarity and equanimity they are practicing mindfulness and they're getting those benefits that research has shown they can get well if you could recommend a book related to mindfulness what would that be Oh yeah, the science of enlightenment. Uh, enlightenment. <laughs> so that sounds funny. The science of enlightenment by Shinzen Young. That's what I would recommend. Okay. Yes. And what about an app? Can you recommend an app that yeah. people could use? Yeah, we are actually just coming out with Bright Mind. Bright Mind is uh, an app based on Shinzen system, and I help to create the um, the scripts. For that with Shinzen. We collaborated on that and uh, uh, it's all his uh, system, but I, I tend to have a way of uh, making it conversational. He's uh, He is a science geek at heart, Shinzen, so and together we uh, found a way so that um, people would uh, really be able to be very user-friendly. So yeah, the Bright Mind app is coming out within a matter of weeks. Well, no, that's exciting. I understand you have a training available that that our listeners could get involved with. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, like I mentioned earlier, um, we if if you're interested in really understanding how 
mindfulness practice works, the how-to of it, so you really can optimize your time and accelerate your growth. We have a lot of training around that. Um, we have a, a basic core training that's free. It's an 11 video series. And then we also have a teacher training where uh, by learning to teach it, you master how to do it. And you can provide a link maybe for your yes, users. Yes, sure. And I'll put the link right into our show notes, mindfulnessmode.com slash unified mindfulness. Right. Because that's yep. the name of your your company, Unified Mindfulness. Yep. And on that, can you tell us a little bit more about how our listeners can connect with you and learn more about what you do? I know unifiedmindfulness.com is your website. That's right. Exactly. Unifiedmindfulness.com. So, so that's probably it. That's but, right. Okay. That's it. Yeah. And we also have a Facebook page, a Unified Mindfulness Facebook page. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. And yes, please give us a shout out. I'd love to connect with you and uh, help you, support you in your practice. Yeah. So once again, to check out that that course, that program, go to mindfulnessmode.com slash unifiedmindfulness. And you will be treated with some excellent training. That will be a wonderful experience. Well, Juliana, it has been fantastic to talk with you. You've got so much experience and so much knowledge about mindfulness, and our listeners will really enjoy learning more. So thanks for being on the show, Juliana. Well, Bruce, I just want to thank you for doing this podcast. It's just so needed in the world, and um, uh, it's a wonderful, rich opportunity for people to dive more deeply into it and to meet uh, you know, people in the space and get more acquainted with uh, their perspectives. So thank you for that. Well, it's certainly my pleasure. You have a great rest of your day, Juliana. Bye now. You too, Bruce. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or episode number into the search bar. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen. Maybe it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever. Hit subscribe and share. Subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Subscribe and share, share, share. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. <laughs>